This is Crime Connections, and we're your hosts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jackie. So today we wanted to do something a little different. We wanted to do a Daddy Dearest case in honor of Father's Day. This is a story that involves many twists and turns of a fugitive on the run, who is a master of deception, but a prime example of how justice prevails and will catch up to you no matter how much time has passed. This is the List family murders. Now let's get into it. John Emil List was an only child born into a German-American family. John and his family were devout Lutherans. In 1943, he enlisted in the United States Army and he served as a laboratory technician during World War II. And after he was discharged in 1946, he enrolled in the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he earned his bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in accounting. And he was commissioned as a second lieutenant through the ROTC program. He was later called back to the Army because of the Korean War escalating. That is when he met his wife, Helen Morris Taylor, who was a widow of an infantry officer who lived nearby the base, Fort Eustis, in Virginia. When the Army figured out his accounting skills, they transferred him to the Finance Corps, and then he gradually progressed through his career from there. John List appeared to be the perfect son, husband, and father. He worked hard as an accountant at a nearby bank to provide for his family. Eventually, with his career taking off, the family moved to Westerfield, New Jersey, to a mansion he inhabited with his mother, wife, and three children. It had 19 rooms, including a ballroom, a marble fireplace, and a Tiffany skylight, which I found was super interesting, and maybe it can relate later, but the skylight alone was worth $100,000 at the time, and that would kind of equal about half a million dollars in today's which is insane. Um, yeah, it was crazy. So that just kind of gives you an idea of how nice this house was. The skylight alone was $100,000. In Jeez. 1965, the List family was the epitome of the American dream. They attended church every Sunday and maintained being devout Lutherans even in adulthood. John even taught Sunday school. Everything looked great on the surface to everyone outside of the family. But in 1971, John List lost his job at the bank and he was 46 years old at this time. He couldn't bear to tell his family of him losing his job because in his mind that would make him a failure and doing so, that wasn't what his family raised him. So his father was very judgy all throughout his childhood and basically he just didn't want to be a loser even though at this time, his father was dead. So instead of telling his family, he spent his days at a train station reading the newspaper, secretly skimming money from his mother's bank accounts to pay the mortgage. He refused to go on welfare because that would be an embarrassment in his community and violate the principles of the self-sufficient life that he has created and learned from his father. And also, I feel like living in a mansion and being on welfare is kind of like oxymoron in kind of like a hush hush you don't want people to know that you have problems basically in small towns things get around and if they went on welfare living in a 19 room mansion that would definitely be the talk of the town yes and because of this pressure that his father put on him his whole life being a certain way he could not bear to tell anybody of his shortcomings so the solution he ended up that seemed way more acceptable than telling the truth was that The only option was he would kill his mother, wife, and his three children. 
So on Tuesday, November 9th, 1971, after sending his children off to school, he took his two handguns, a 9mm semi-automatic handgun and a Colt revolver that he inherited from his father, out of the car to load them, and then he walked back into the kitchen, shot his wife Helen, who was 46 years old at the time, while she was drinking her morning coffee. And in an interview that he gave, he said, I approached all of them from behind so that they wouldn't realize till the last minute what I was going to do to them. Next, he went upstairs where his 84-year-old mother was having breakfast, kissed her on the forehead, and then shot her in the head. Then he went downstairs and dragged his wife's body into the ballroom and began scrubbing the floor of blood so that when his children came home, they wouldn't realize what was going on when they came home from school. He went to the post office to stop the family's mail from coming to the house. Then he went to the bank where he cashed out his mother's savings and bonds. He closed both his and his mother's bank accounts. Then he returned home, made several phone calls to explain why the family was gonna be out of town. He said that they were going to to North Carolina to visit his wife's ailing mother mm-hmm. and then he was planning to follow them later by car. Then he sat down and ate lunch at the same table where he had just shot his wife hours before. In an interview he said, I was hungry and then he laughed. That's just the way it was. After making himself lunch, he then killed the children as they came home from school. First his daughter Patty and then his youngest son Frederick. Then he drove to Westerfield Heights School to watch his oldest son, John Jr., play in his soccer game, which John Jr. was his favorite. Everyone that knew the family would say that that he was his favorite. He took pride that his oldest son had his name. So after he drove John Jr. home, he then shot him repeatedly. And unlike the others, John didn't go quietly. His body was jerking as List emptied both the 9mm and the 22 into his son and there were talks that the original shot was a misfire and that's why he had to shoot him so many times apparently john jr realized what was going on and there's talks that he fought back in the same interview that he talks about joking about being hungry after killing his wife and mother he says i don't know whether it was only because he was still jerking that i wanted to make sure that he didn't suffer or that it was my sort of way of relieving the tension after having completed what I felt was my assignment for the day. So his assignment for the day was annihilating his whole family, his whole immediate family. Yeah. God, that's gross. Yeah. He then lined up four bodies in the ballroom on top of a sleeping bag, not including his mother, Alma, because he said that his mother's body was too heavy to move from upstairs to downstairs. He put on the internal intercom and then cleaned up meticulously. Then he sat down and wrote a confession letter to his pastor, explaining his financial problems. He says, At least I'm certain that all have gone to heaven now. If things had gone on, who knows what would be the case, he wrote. This note to the pastor because he knew the pastor would understand why he did this. He feared his family would be confronted with a world full of evil and poverty and would turn from God. This was the only way to ensure they had a safe arrival into heaven. Which is crazy to think that he thought this was the only way when there's just so many other things he could have done. Yeah. So he's basically, he didn't want to like have them go through all of this pain that the world could potentially bring because he lost his job as if, yeah, he if he actively looked, I'm sure he could have got another one. But mm-hmm. he figured if he killed them, they'd go to heaven versus if they killed the them. The unknown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super weird. But he was not, however, willing 
to suffer the consequences of his actions, along with canceling any and all deliveries to the house and creating a temporary alibi as to why the family would be out of town and out of contact for a while. He also cleaned the crime scene and used scissors to remove every image of himself that was in the mansion because police believe that that was a way for them to not be able to find any pictures or current pictures of him so they could use them for like wanted posters and like bolos so that other officers would know who they're looking for if he you know traveled yeah elsewhere. which doesn't make sense because he went to college so he, they would have his photo yeah, the military would have it too yeah like so there's literally no possible way for you not to be found i think he just wanted photos that were more current because maybe I, I don't know what the difference of what he looked like from when he was like 18 years old or whatever going into the military and then into college versus what he looks like at 46 i'm sure it is different but yeah he just he was trying to do everything he could to kind of clean up all the loose ends mm-hmm. so once he did all of that he slept in the mansion where his family lay dead in the ballroom then he walked out the door the next morning but before leaving he turned on all the lights and the radio leaving religious hymns playing in the house throughout all the empty rooms and of course the ballroom with his dead family and i also read that he turned the temperature up which i don't know the reason like the thought process on that like why he would turn it up because if it were a stranger you would think oh they wanted to decompose the bodies as soon as possible right but with he was the only suspect so well that well i think also well, that totally kind of messes with my theory. So maybe he initially thought, okay, if I can mess with like the decomposition I'm missing, maybe the police will think that something happened to me. Maybe I was kidnapped too or something was going on. But then if you revert back to him taking out all of the photos out of the picture frames and things like that, that would make me as an officer immediately think this man is trying to hide his identity. Yeah. So now, again, he's prime suspect all over again. So maybe he was just trying to speed everything up so there was no evidence. Yeah, like no fingerprints because maybe he was trying to think longevity of if my fingerprint's on here. But then the army, situa- they would have his fingerprints. Right. So I don't know. Silly man. Silly man. Super, yeah, it doesn't make sense. So then after trying to clean up all of those loose ends, then he drove his car to John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York, where he left his car as a false lead, and then he took a bus into the city. And from there, it was a dead end. No one knew what happened to him. They didn't spot him, and they didn't have any pictures to post wanted signs. There was just everyone knew that there was a wanted man for killing his family potentially yeah a month passed before neighbors got curious about the family and about why the lights kept turning off in certain rooms which they were just burning out because they were on 24 7 Mm -hmm. and why the windows were always empty and they began to think something was wrong but what is crazy is they were a very reclusive family so yes john played it in soccer but all reports that i have read they didn't really go out they didn't really associate with a lot of people which then brings me back to then why would he be so nervous to even tell if he didn't really hang out with other people exactly so people just didn't notice because he cleared up all the alibis at the school so it kind of well and his mother even or helen's mother even mentioned that there actually was a trip planned yeah and that she had canceled it due to her being sick right so and they say that like helen's mom 
would have probably been a victim too if she would have showed up. Mm-hmm. So instead of Helen's mother coming to visit them, all of a sudden now the story's changed for the school. They're going to North Carolina to yeah. visit Helen's mom. So that everything kind of lined up for everyone that needed to know and that would be checking in on the family. On December 7, 1971, police did a welfare check because the neighbors were worried, and when they entered the home, the police heard gospel music playing through the intercom system that List left on. They also found a five-page note from List explaining his reasoning behind this heinous crime. And that is it. That is all that we knew about what had happened. He was gone, they had no leads, and for 18 years, there was just nothing. It was radio silence. So during this time, List had traveled from New York when he took that bus, and he traveled overland to Denver where he began a new life under the alias Robert P. Clark. And in between that time, we don't really know what he was doing. So there's a few years unaccounted for, but what we did find was, in 1989, the New Jersey prosecutor came up with a plan because everything was radio silent. They had an expert forensic artist Frank Bender create a physical bust of John List as Bender imagined what he would look like as he aged. Bender gave him a hawk nose, grizzled eyebrows, and horn-ribbed glasses. And psychologists theorized that List would still be wearing the same spectacles that he wore as a younger man to remind himself of his more successful days. Which makes sense. It does, because I buy the same frames of glasses every single time I go get glasses, because I know it looks good on me, and Mm -hmm. I don't have to sit there for 20 minutes trying on different yeah. Frames. Well, and men typically, especially men, will pick the same frame every single time. Yeah. They're like, oh, do you still make it? Yeah. Okay, I want that one again. Yeah, because you, you work at a um, eye doctor's. Yes. So and you- I'm not. This one guy ordered three of the same pair, so so he would have them. <laughs> so it's very yeah typical. It was a spitting image of John List and how he looked 18 years after his crimes. This depiction was shown on America's Most Wanted. John Walsh, I love you, um, when they aired the story of the List murders on May 21st, 1989. An audience of 22 million people saw the sculpture. That's when tips came pouring in. One tip came from a woman in Richmond, Virginia, who thought her next-door neighbor, Robert Clark, bore a striking resemblance to the sculpture. The tipster said her neighbor was also an accountant and attended the local Lutheran church, and this tip she gave the address to the Clark's house. According to the Richmond Times, another tip came in from List's previous neighbor in Denver. America's Most Wanted later did a feature on the Denver resident Wanda R. Flannery, who lived next door to the new Mrs. Clark in a red brick condominium she bought about the time she married Robert Clark. And authorities believe that Clark moved to Denver about 1975. So there's that little tiny gap of time that no one knows where he was or what he was doing. Mm-hmm. While living in Denver, List joined the St. Paul's Lutheran Church, where he gave no hint of the brutal crimes police say he left behind, said John Walsh in this interview. He lived an anonymous lifestyle as a church-going accountant, which literally would never raise any eyebrows to anyone. No. The church's pastor, Reverend Robert, said, We found out his area was financed, so he began to serve on a finance committee and then eventually was elected to the church's council and served two years, and that was 1984 to 1985. And he was also a treasurer of the congregation. So that kind of gives you a little more of a theory, like, okay, in 84 he was in Denver. Mm -hmm. So that kind of, but that's still like 
two and a half, three years, again, that there's still a gap that no one knows what happened to him. He met his second wife through church functions, and the couple married in 1985 in November. In an article that first appeared in the Denver Post, Miss Flannery said she had watched the America's Most Wanted segment on May 21st about List. She recognized the man as her former neighbor, Bob Clark. She told her son-in-law to call the televised telephone number to report Clark. She said, I got these chills. In an interview with the Denver Post, I said, that's Bob. And my children said, yeah, yes it is. That would be so creepy just thinking... You know, you see your neighbor over and over and over again, but you really don't. Most people don't know their neighbors. You just see them. And then to see them on The Most Wanted and be like, holy crap, that's my neighbor. You know, like, I don't know. That would be absolutely crazy. Well, I have another little shocker coming to you because Miss Flannery was a premature detective in training, whatever you want to call her, (laughs) because she has known for a while. She thought something was off with this man. So she said that... Earlier, she suspected that Clark might be the man authorities were seeking because she had read an article in a fugitive tabloid. They didn't say which one, but there was a tabloid that used to take pictures of wanted fugitives and they would post their pictures and their crime. And so she would read these things and there was a sketch that was kind of, it wasn't like the one that Bender had Mm -hmm. created. Like the physical one. Yeah, Yeah, the physical one. It was just what they had thought maybe, so it wasn't. There wasn't as much work put into that one, but like she's... more accuracy. Yeah. yeah. She saw that, and she was like, mm, yeah, that kind of looks like my neighbor. So you want to know what she does? She goes over to the new Mrs. Clark and shows her the picture and said, this is your husband, Bob. Like, I'm convinced this is Bob. <laughs> and Mrs. Clark could not believe that it was her husband or didn't want to believe it because she obviously stayed with him. Yeah. This was, like, right in the beginning of their, like when they got married so like you still have all that honeymoon phase going on Mm -hmm. there's no way she's like yeah that's my husband because this man gave no tells that he was a total creeper murderer yeah well there also is studies on when you're with someone more often than your neighbor or whatever Mm -hmm. you're gonna zone in on more of their features Mm -hmm. so when you see something that's similar to them you're gonna be like no that's not similar because they don't have this 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 you're more particular so that's probably where her mind was going Mm -hmm. she's like no there's no way that could be him because he it doesn't have this 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 or you know what i mean right well and it's just crazy because his neighbor five years before almost five years before Mm -hmm. he was caught she was like this is the guy yeah so i wonder like how her relationship with mrs clark was after that being neighbors and thinking that her new husband was a murderer well and i'm also wondering if miss clark ever mentioned it to him and then they moved that's true too because they moved not that long after being married to Virginia exactly that's what I mean like was he like oh my gosh she's gonna tell we gotta get out of here you know what I didn't even think about that you're probably right so authorities went to Clark's home in Virginia and they ended up speaking with Dolores who is Dolores Clark and her story put an end to Robert Clark slash John List's 18 year long mystery because she must have said something Mm -hmm. because it was like boom right after that he's arrested it turns out that list had changed his identity and moved to colorado under the assumed name robert clark like we said before and because that alias worked for him he kept it when he moved to richmond and we know from his personal interviews that he gave that dolores had no idea and she just didn't know of this dark past or that his name wasn't really robert until that day 
Liz caught the tail end of the show with Dolores because they were watching it. But oh he had came in, whatever he was doing, he just got the end of it. But his wife watched the whole show and she had no idea it was him. He said in his interview, I was perspiring like anything. He remembers, but he said that his wife didn't seem to recognize him. See, what? Which, if you guys go on our Instagram or go on our Facebook, you will see this like statue looking thing of this man next to his actual picture and you are stupid to not be able to tell that is the same person okay but like in her defense she's in denial she's in denial and there's been people have done more obvious things in relationships like where people are like they didn't do it it's like you just saw that person cheat on you or whatever it was yeah and then you're like well, in my head, they wouldn't do that to me, or they wouldn't do that at all. And then they just totally go blind. Love makes you blind. Yes, but then I also think when someone else five years prior mentions <laughs> to you, your husband's a killer, here's the article, here's the photo of what he's done, and da-da-da-da, and you push it off, I can, I can totally understand that one. But mm-hmm. then when you see a thing on the TV and it looks identical to your husband, you wouldn't think, wow, I wonder that if- looks very similar to my husband. I bet she was sweating too. She probably like, was like, oh my gosh, it is him. Bob Clark slash John Liss was sitting there sweating, thinking, oh my God, I hope she doesn't recognize this as me. And she's probably sitting there thinking, and she's sweating. She's like, oh my God, this guy looks just like the guy who killed his whole family, but I'm not going to say anything because what if I'm next? <laughs> Literally. Like, yeah. where does he draw the line? He killed his whole family. I'm one person. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what she A was thinking. easier than his whole family. Yeah, yeah. because from articles... He was arrested almost right after he the police talked to Dolores. So she must have sang like a bird. She's probably like, you know, five years ago, my neighbor showed me this thing. I didn't believe her. And then all of a sudden, now this is going on. Mm-hmm. And also, he would have had to keep the same alias. Because how would he have explained to Dolores, hey, look. I need to change my name. I need to change my name. It's just not fitting with me anymore. Yeah. There's no way she would have been up for that. She mm-hmm. would have been like questions all the way around yeah like what is wrong with you yeah so basically he kept this bob clark ruse up for 11 more days before authorities arrested him so it's pretty close but it was 11 days after they spoke with dolores at his trial in 1990 the defense lawyers argued that list suffered from ptsd from the military service in world war ii and in korea and expert psychologists believe rather that list was going through a midlife crisis and as the prosecution pointed out that there was no excuse for killing five innocent people no they also claimed that helen his first wife was suffering long-term effects of untreated syphilis and that she had gotten it from her deceased former husband and apparently she deceived john list when they got married because since it was in the later stages of syphilis apparently it's not contagious or as contagious and i looked that up and i got kind of differing articles Mm -hmm. so like if anyone knows the particulars about syphilis i don't know maybe just drop a comment on one of the photos because i just think it's crazy that he she would have been able to have children and things like that and not you know pass it down um but live with someone yeah Yeah, so she kept it a huge secret apparently she never told john that she had it and they got married and Liz nor his children were infected because, like I said, it was in the later stages. But because it was in the later stages and it was untreated, she started losing her vision. And then she used this as her reason to be an alcoholic. So that's what John's claiming as to why yeah. part of the reason. 
And then John also says that Helen used to patronize him, saying he wasn't half the man her previous husband was. And another report says that his daughter Patricia was practicing witchcraft, which this never made it into court. It was never proven, but that was another thing that he said was an, a reason. Yeah, I feel like his... He's, he's his, reaching. Yes. Very hard. Reaching hard, yeah. Okay. And these two combined things is very hard for any devout Lutheran man and to morally and religiously accept. And his defense attorney tried to make this a valid argument in court as to why you combined his wife patronizing him mm -hmm. and she's living with a long-term illness. And the stress of losing his job would make any man... Not let's set aside the fact that he's a devout Lutheran. Any man go over the edge. Excuse me, what? Yeah, I'm, like I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just a perfect. Okay, I'm over the edge. I'm gonna go kill six people, but it's okay. It was five I, people, but still. No, no, I just mean in general. Like I'm gonna go kill people. Like no big deal. No big deal. I mean, I'm sorry, what? But my thing is too. After so long in their marriage, he did find out she did have syphilis, and. If you chose once you did find out to continue to stay, you cannot later use that in an, in a relationship as an argument. And, no. And anytime, like anytime you find something out about your partner, even if it's after the fact, if you stayed in that moment and you chose to stay, later on you can't use that as a reason to be like, oh, you lied to me. You knew that. Mm -hmm. She told you. You found out. Yeah, How exactly. you found out. Sorry. Um, oh, Lord. But the jury found Liz guilty, and a judge sentenced him with five life terms in the New Jersey prison. John Liz died from complications related to pneumonia in 2008 at the New Jersey Medical Center while in prison custody. Okay, so now we have, at the end of most episodes that we do, we do theories and interesting things we found out. The home where the Liz family was annihilated later was actually burned down nine months after the murders in 1972. Locals traded theories about the suspicious fire. Some believe that Liss returned back, which could could very well be. We don't know what well he be. did. And that he had burnt it, which, why would he do that? I don't really know. Maybe to erase his sins? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Others were thinking that kids did it, and then... Some people thought that, like, a cult slash Satan worshippers that did it, which I feel like that's a very easy fallback. Uh, the property was auctioned off later that year to local newspaper publisher Kurt Bauer for a winning bid of $36,000, which that's not bad for a piece of property oh, well, with a burnt and, house. <laughs> well, yeah. So I was also reading other articles about that house, and apparently parents didn't make their kids walk by that house or they would try to avoid them from walking by it because it would scare the kids they thought the grounds were haunted and it just became an old wise tale of the yeah, town like a huge ghost story yeah so it was just like that huge thing and then you go back to that tiffany's skylight that's a hundred thousand dollars if they would have sold that or sold some of the things inside that mansion, would they have been in that situation? Exactly, yeah. Because it, even if it didn't take him out of the hole, if he was skimming it money, it should have been. It should have because he was skimming money and it was enough to make the, the mortgage payments. Yeah, so he shouldn't have been in so much debt that he couldn't have made it with that extra hundred grand. Even if he sold it for 50 grand, that would have helped him tremendously. Yeah, but so, instead of. You know, having a little flea market yard sale type deal. He was like, let me get them. Let me kill this whole family. Because yeah. that seems more reasonable. 
he definitely had mental issues for sure. For sure. I also was reading that the property itself became a huge high profile area. Area, yeah. And 25 years later, after the list murders, Jeff Bauer, the owner of the home, and his brother Kurt were in the house, and in comes his wife, Meta, and she shot them both and killed them. And then she also shot herself while in the home as well. So, like, there was also another family killing 25 years later. What are the freaking odds? I'm telling you, people in Westerfield. <laughs> no, that's super. That's the whole situation. You have a whole family annihilated by the father. And then let's reverse it. Now it's the wife 25 years later killing the husband. And then I'm sure it was just because the brother was there hanging out. Yeah. He was like, let me get him too. Yeah. And. You know, I don't know, because in the article it said a strange wife. It didn't specify whose wife it was. Okay. So I'm not honestly and even sure. They both have the last name. You don't know if it was Kurt yeah. or Jeffrey, but it did happen at Jeffrey's house. Yeah. So. so I don't know. Just what are the odds of that? 25 years later, the wife then kills her husband and the brother. We also were looking into some facts of family annihilators and. 49% of the family annihilator murders happen on the weekend, usually a Sunday. A study of 30 cases in Ohio found that most of the killings were motivated by a parent's desire to stop their children's suffering, which is related to what he was. List. Yeah, yeah. List, that's exactly what he said he was trying to do. Yep, and then according to ABC News contributor and former FBI agent Brad Garrett, people responsible for killing their families tend to be white males in their 30s, Many of these crimes occur in August, right before school starts, which may delay detection. detection and investigation, which makes sense because if they're out of school, there's no one really looking into them. A literature review done in 2018 noted that contextual and offense characteristics of familiacide among the 63 articles reviewed, 74 to 85% noted relationship problems or separation. The article also found evidence of financial problems, intoxication, and use of firearms. This literature review unveiled that 71% of these offenses were motivated in regard to conflict between parents and 29% associated with the perpetrator's situation in life. Lastly, this article reported two studies, one of which found that many of the motives involved feelings of abandonment, psychosis, and narcissistic rage, which John had like practically every single thing in that. Yeah, and there was a psychiatrist in a different article that we didn't mention, but now that you're saying that, they did say that he had um, very narcissistic and OCD tendencies, which was why he had to clean everything mm -hmm. to like make it look just amazing. And then they said that he was very full of himself, and that's part of the reason why he couldn't admit to why he was failing. Studies have also been done on why people are narcissistic, and it's their uh, parents. So from what his dad did to him, making him always feel like a failure and not like he's doing good enough, even though he was doing good enough, can create a narcissistic person. Yes. So it totally makes sense on... He literally checked almost every single box. Mm -hmm. And then that other family where the strange wife comes in, you have a conflicts between couples mm -hmm. or there is estrangement but in, in both cases it involved a firearm too so yeah. like all of these things that you just said checked off almost all the boxes of both crimes yeah and it just shows you that 
science is there for a reason. Like, exactly. It, you know, it, it's not just, they're not pulling it out of thin air. It's based off statistical information. Yes. So we hope you guys enjoyed this case and you join us next week for something a little more local to Ohio and a little bit more recent. Thank you. Thanks, guys.